0: Appreciate you being here today. um, We are in a series on in the book of James, and uh, I I wonder if it's just coincidence or maybe not that uh, we were in North Carolina on hurricane relief, and we're going to be in the Panhandle on hurricane relief during a series where, where you have to put your faith into action, and that's basically what the book of James is. James basically says. If, if your faith doesn't have action, then your faith is dead. If your religion doesn't work out somewhere in your life, James says your religion is worthless. I mean, he just flat out nails me right between the eyes. And so I just want to kind of, I thought of it this morning. Uh, we got back from North Carolina, what, a week ago, or, and we're heading to the panhandle the week of the 27th, uh, 22nd to do whatever we can. Right in the middle of a series that James says you ought to be doing that very thing. And so we as a church have been doing that forever. It's not because we're in a series on the book of James, but we forever have been talking about scattering way back since I think 2012. I, I kind of heard that terminology of gathering and scattering and that's all the church should do. And in a couple of weeks, I guess a, a week from Monday a week from tomorrow, we're scattering to the panhandle and, um, uh, we're having a meeting right after this service today, back in the fireside room for anybody that wants to scatter down there with us. Uh, God may have given you special skills that can help needy people. Uh, the dev- I've been on the phone to three or four pastors. I've been on the phone to a disaster relief coordinator. The, 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 the devastation down there is, is uh, amazing, and the hurricane was not wide, it was narrow, but it was really strong in its narrow strip. So I'm flying down there this week to take a look at it and so help to, uh, so we know what we're doing when we hit the ground on Monday the 22nd, so we won't have to spend a day trying to get our bearings. I'll get the bearings this week, and so we can hit the ground running when we get there. We're flying out of Cincinnati on Monday the 22nd Arrived in Destin, Florida at 413, I think, on the 22nd. Return here uh, on Saturday, the 27th, as we're down there and we trying to help in any absolute, any way that we can. Um, a lot of people send donations. Uh, a lot of people, uh, send water and food and that's really great. And that's of course is needed, but they have more water and food than they can imagine down there because they just get so much. And you've read on a lot of these stuff that they, a lot of that stuff ends up going to waste. What they need is boots on the ground. And what they need are people with chainsaws and what they need with people that can pick up debris and take it to the curb and they need boots on the ground. So we're going to go and try to be the hands and feet of Jesus any way that we can. And some of you have special skills that can help us. And, um, uh, we really appreciate you going with us. Some of you just have the ability to go because of your station in life right now. You just you're, you're, you're retired or whatever it may be, and uh, or maybe you have a job that you can get off, God has given you that blessing. You have that ability. And wh- wherever you find yourself, if you can make it down with us, love to have you go with us. And we're taking some from uh, uh, another church here in town. We're take, meeting uh, some people that are come over from Louisiana, that he's a former Nazarene pastor, and he's gone over to the Baptist dark side now. And he and we're going with him because we need to be more eternally secure as Nazarenes. So we're going to see how all that works out. And so love to have you go as we work out who we are as Christians in a very positive, uh, very positive way. We have a meeting after this ch- service in the fireside room. So uh, the title of the sermon series is Pure uh, Uh, true religion, excuse me, is true religion. And that comes from James chapter one. This has been our anchor verse. Those who consider themselves religious and a lot of Christian people get all pious and say, well, I'm not religious. I have a relationship. But you've heard people say that. And I get what they mean by that. But religious and religion is a biblical word and we must deal with it. It basically means worshiper. Those who consider themselves worshipers and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue They deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. And we talked about a little bit about that last week. We'll talk more about that in chapter three. There is no more of a way that people judge you as a Christian. And I don't necessarily mean judge in a bad way there that can tell you're a Christian or not is by the way that you use this little deadly weapon that's inside of your mouth. And James plainly says in in 126, If you consider yourselves to be religious, if you consider yourselves to be a worshiper, yet you do not keep a tight rein on the tongue, uh, on their tongues, they deceive themselves. Notice they don't deceive anyone else. They deceive themselves. Everybody else knows the truth. They deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. The next verse says... Uh, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. Some translations will say true. That's where we get our sermon title. Religion that God our Father accepts as true is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's just a little phrase for needy people. That means if you see someone in distress that's not an orphan and a widow, you don't have to look after them. No, that's just a That's just a phrase for needy people. Orphans and widows had no one to look after them, especially in that day and time. So it's to look after people that don't have other people to look after them and to keep oneself from being polluted. Literally, the world means stained by the world. Keep yourself from being polluted. Keep yourself from being stained by the world. There's a worldly way to do things and there's a Christian way to do things. There's a worldly way to do church. And there's a Christian way to do church. We, the world creeps its wisdom in on us. And many times that's antithetical to the things cause of Christ. And so to keep yourself from being polluted by the things of this world. And that's where we're focusing on. That's our anchor verse. And we're talking about all the ways that James says your faith should be put into action where your faith should be, get dirt underneath the fingernails of your faith. Your faith doesn't happen in here, if faith happens out there. I think God cares a whole lot more about what happens out there than what happens in here. I really, really do. I really do. Because you can come in here and you can sing whatever songs you want to sing, doesn't make any difference. You go to churches. That are faithful churches, they sing all kinds of different songs. Some of them sing hymns, some of them are hard rock. You can sing all kinds of music. Your preacher can be in short pants or a a two piece or a three piece suit or a robe. I don't think Jesus gives a rip about any of that. What happens when you leave this joint here? What happens when you leave this place and you uh, scatter? That is what James is talking about. That's what we talk about so much at uh, Xenia Church of the Nazarene. James 2, one through nine is where we're launching from. And James says, my brothers and sisters, you who are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and this translation is okay, but I like the older NIV that says, you must not, it's an imperative, you must not show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. Favoritism, And that's the verse that we'll launch from today. But he fleshes that out in the next eight verses. What do we have up here? Then he illustrates that. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man comes in wearing filthy old clothes. He also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here, here's a really good seat for you, and say to the poor man, you stand here or you sit on the floor at my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges, literally the Greek says here, judges, this is so good, this is so good, judges who take bribes, that's literally. And what can a rich man do? He can bribe you. He can bribe you to treat him differently than other people. Have you not become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world, to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Of course they are. They're the only ones that can afford attorneys. Uh, You know, there was no such thing as a public defender back in those days. They're the ones that's litigating against you because everybody else can't afford to litigate it. You could... You could have some injustice that you could put against a poor person, but they don't have any means to take you to court. Rich people do that, have those means. Verse 7 is important. Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of of him to whom you belong? We'll come back to that verse. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Verse 1 again says, Brothers and sisters, you who are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, do not show favoritism. So it's like he's, he's connecting those who are believers and the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't know how many places in scripture you have that phrase, glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He, 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 and I'll talk about that in a second, but he says believers, you who are connected to Jesus, not just believers in the, the, the Ra, the sun God, who was a big God back in that day and time. You who are believers in Christ, you who are connected to Christ, you who identify with Christ, you who belong to Christ, you, you who I'm talking about, I'm not just talking about believers in the Ohio State Buckeyes, I'm talking about believers in Christ. You who are tied to Christ, who identify with Christ, don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. The Living Bible comes really good with this translation. I like the way the Living Bible, the Living Bible is a paraphrase, not a translation, but look what it says. Dear brothers, how can you claim that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, if you show favoritism to rich people? and look down on poor people. So the Living Bible really gives that connection to who we are believing in. And how can we be connected to Christ, with James saying, how can you belong to Christ? How can you call yourself a Christian? Little Christ, that's what Christian means. How can you call yourself a Christian? How can you call yourself a follower of Christ? And you show favoritism. So the connection here of, to Christ, is the really huge deal that James is trying to, trying to tell us here. In fact, that verse that I read earlier, 2-7 of James, go to 2-7, Karen. Talking about rich people that, that pay attention to the rich and not the poor. Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name? You're blaspheming the name of who you belong to. James is talking about our identity is in Jesus Christ. We belong to Him. We're identified with Him. I got on my my Facebook page I have Mark Atherton. I said, first, I have, I don't I don't know if it says a Christian or a follower of Christ. That's first. After that, I'm a husband. After that, I'm a father. After that, I'm a pastor. I'm not a I'm not a husband first. I'm not a pastor first. I'm not a father first. My identity is in Jesus Christ. That's how I see. I see some people put will put Christian down like seventh or eighth on the list somewhere. That, that they just don't understand that yet. They haven't grown in maturity enough to understand that your identity is in Christ. Your identity is not in your kids. I saw some. I saw somebody. You know, people put it on Facebook. And they just had a little baby and they showed the picture of the baby and they said. She's my whole world. What a bad theological statement. I know what she means. I do too. But my kids are not my whole world. My wife is not my whole world. And only I can be the husband and father I should be if Jesus is my whole world. That's the only way. And that's what James is trying to say. Our identity, you who belong to Jesus Christ... That's who you're identified with. Don't show favoritism because of your identity in Jesus Christ. Now, you all know this because your dad, usually your dad, when you left out going somewhere, he says, remember who you are. Remember you're an Atherton. My dad did. I hope your dad did. I hope you had the kind of dad that did that. Remember who you are, son remember who you are. In fact, dad gave me a plaque, and it means more to me today than it did when he gave it to me. And I know that's, that's really little writing right there, so let's blow it up a little more, Karen, and show the next one. Atherton, or whatever your name is. Atherton, you got it from your father, it was all he had to give, so it's yours to use and cherish for as long as you may live. If you lose the watch he gave you, it can always be replaced, but a black mark on your name, son, can never be erased. It was clean the day you took it and a worthy name to bear. When he got it from his father, there was no dishonor there. So make sure you guard it wisely. After all is said and done, you'll be glad the name is spotless when you give it to your son. Now, if that's true with a name like Atherton or Jones or Smith, How much more should it be true with a name like Christian? And that's what James is saying. You who are believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you're connected to him, you're identified to him. And verse seven says, you blaspheme his name to the one to whom you belong. This teaching and identity in Christ is very deep, and I don't have my mind wrapped around it, but I have, I have the sense it's a clue to victorious Christian living. Uh, I, I, my identity is in him. My identity is not in what you think of me. My identity is, is, is not in what other people think of me. My identity is not in the fact that I'm a pastor. My identity is in Christ. And that's so easy for me to say, but so difficult for me to live out, and that's what James is trying to tell me here. Hey, you who are brothers and sisters, you who are believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Because if you do, verse 7, you blaspheme the name of him to whom you belong. (laughs) James just knocks me right between the eyes. Now, when James says this, he is so direct because he knows he's standing on biblical grounds. Because this showing no favoritism thing is not just something that James invented, it's something that's all the way through the Bible. And I could bore you to death by taking you and showing you all the way through the Bible where it says he should be any respecter of persons. But let me just show you a, a, just four of them, okay? In the Old Testament, Leviticus. When's the last time you hung out in Leviticus, okay? If you do, you haven't been eating too much pork lately, okay? Leviticus 19. Is trying to just kind of recap some of the some of the commandments here, especially the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't deceive one another. Don't swear falsely by my name, or, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. So so James just is confident in what he's saying, not because he thinks it's right. It's because he's back in the Old Testament scriptures, and he's boldly proclaiming this because he knows he's right. He's not just spouting off his own opinion somewhere. Deuteronomy chapter 10 for the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. <laughs> it's got to be good for you. It tastes horrible. <laughs> he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and giving them clothing. Let's go to the New Testament. You know, you remember the New Testament story? This is about uh, taxes and, and, you know, should we pay taxes or not, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, show me that coin. And it was a denarius and said, whose picture's on a denarius? And he said, Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. Now that's the verses right underneath this verse. The reason they went to Jesus to ask him that question about should I pay taxes or not? It's because, teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And then Luke, excuse me, in Acts chapter 10, Peter just thought that Jesus thing was for the Jews, man. You know, it's just us Nazarenes, you know. It's just our kind of thing. We're better than the rest. And there's a whole big story here on God brings down a, a vision for Peter to see that, that shows him that, 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 that this whole Jesus thing is for everybody. And, and Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. James is on a really solid ground. And that's why he's bold and just looks at him and says, don't show favoritism. But it, I think it's, it's fascinating. He says, as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, how many times does that little phrase come up? Glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Why didn't he just say, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why did he put glorious Lord Jesus Christ? I didn't look it up, but I imagine that phrase, glorious Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't show up too much in Scripture. Why didn't he just say, as believers. And Lord Jesus Christ, it's got to mean something. I just don't think words are wasted in Scripture. And James Wright, and the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And as I pondered and thought and prayed about that this week, read about that this week, and it seems like if there's anyone who is high and lifted up and could look down on other people as less than him, it ought to be the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 says, And you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in heaven, he became poor. So that we, through his poverty, might become rich. It's called the The old preacher didn't have too much education, and he called it the condensation of Christ. It's not the condensation of Christ. It's a condescension of Christ. He came down. He humbled himself. Though he was rich and had the splendor of heaven, he came down and was a mere mortal. He condescended. And if the one who is the king of all heaven, the king of glory, can come down and mix and mingle with us poor commoners, how much more that we should do the same? Brothers and sisters, believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ who looked at Zacchaeus, the rich man, and said, come on down, let's go to your house and sort it out, but also had the woman of ill repute kneel at his feet, wet his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. He showed no partiality, was no respecter of persons. And the glorious Lord Jesus Christ to whom you belong can do this, then you ought to do it. Remember whose you are. Philippians chapter two is one of the most famous verses in all of scripture. It talks about the glorious Lord Jesus Christ and how he came down and condescended. Remember that old song? Some of you remember that old song, down from his glory. Wow, there's never been a greater song ever written than that. He came down from his glory. What would it have been like for Jesus? To leave his heavenly home and come down to his glory. This is weird. This is so weird. But what would it be like for me or you? Let's say that we condescended, condescended, and we would become. I don't know, what's the difference? If if you're in the heaven and you condescend to become a human, a human would condescend to become what? an ant, an earthworm. Would it be any more difference than that? And we become an earthworm so we can save earthworms. What condescension that would have been from all of us to leave what we have here as humans to condescend in that way. How much more the father left his heavenly home in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and condescended to us. We We don't get that. We we, we can't even fathom that. But Philippians chapter two says, you know, your attitude should be the same as this. And this translation says it differently. But I like the translation that says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. This translation says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as of Christ Jesus. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The next verse says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, if the glorious Lord Jesus Christ can condescend to come to this earth and get his feet dirty, who am I as a Christian not to be able to treat everyone exactly the same if he can leave his heavenly home and mix and mingle with us poor human beings. That's what James is saying. That's what James is saying. (laughs) As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, excuse me, as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, show, no. Partiality. Do not show favoritism. We haven't worked this very out very good as a church in the history of the church. I'm not talking about just the history of Zion Nazarene. I'm talking about the history of the church. It used to be that... Um, a lot of, most pastors would wear clerical garments and some still do obviously and would wear a robe when they preached. Now there was a theological reason for that because up front, we didn't want to dress any better or any worse than anyone else. So we wore a plain black robe. So you wouldn't say, well, I wonder how much he spent on that suit. We're probably paying him too much. Or, or, or you would say, well, I wish he wouldn't wear those jeans and sweater like that, man. They ought to dress a little more appropriately than that. What do you think? So everybody, though they wore a plain black robe. But see, sinful man got a hold of that. Sinful man got a hold of that black robe. And now when you see black robes, you see all kinds of markings on it that distinguish the kind of education they have. How sinful. How sinful. I got more marks than you do. Completely negating the purpose for the robe, which was good. But we show off who's better than the rest of us. We are Wesleyans, which mean we come in the Methodist tradition of John Wesley. And and there's a whole stream of churches that come in the tradition of john wesley we're called wesleyans and we're all in the methodist family and we we've kind of splintered away from time to time and gone and done our own thing so you not only just have one methodist church you have all these methodist churches and one of the methodist churches we have today not very strong in ohio but stronger in other places is the free methodist church my in-laws go to the platteville wisconsin free methodist church And there's five reasons that why this why um, ah, his last name was Roberts. I can't think of his first name that started the Free Methodist Church. The reason they put the name Free on the first of it, I'm not on the start of it. I'm not going to go through all five. But you know, one reason that the name Free Methodist Church is there is because back in those days they were charging the best seats. You had to rent your pew. And they said, we're going to be the free Methodist church. That's how sinful we are as human beings. And even go back to the Anglican days, and and what we understand to be the Anglican church that was in England is now the Episcopal church in the United States. But you you can go back and read the history of the Anglican church. They used to have doors on their pews. Used to be a door here. And you used to, uh, again, buy the best pew and you had a key. Some of y'all would like that right now. I bet you would. That's why four weeks from today, we're having a sit somewhere else Sunday. Seriously, we are. Some of you will stay home because you won't want to sit somewhere else. And right now, you're, you're pushing back against me, aren't you? I know some of your spirits, you little sinners out there, you're pushing back against me right now. But we're going to have a sit somewhere else Sunday because when you sit somewhere else, the whole service takes on a different light. And you may meet somebody new. (laughs) Be still my heart. (laughs) You think we don't show favoritism in church? It's a free Methodist church, friends. It's the free Methodist church. The church of the Nazarene which splintered off from the Methodist church, was started to reach poor people. That is the purpose that we exist as a church. Phineas Brzee and others thought we weren't reaching the poor people And these big, huge, ornate, first United, wasn't United back then, first Methodist churches were being built and they're huge and ornate and the everyday person in society didn't feel comfortable coming in these beautiful, gorgeous places similar today. We got beautiful Ephesus with beautiful things and I wonder if poor people feel comfortable coming in. The Church of Nazarene was started to reach poor people. It's the only reason we exist. Some of the quotes from the early history of our church, this was, this was in a newspaper about the first meetings of the Church of the Nazarene in California. The only thing new in this movement was its determination to preach the gospel to the needy and to give that class a church they could call their own. Wow. Why did they need a church that could call their own? Because I guess they didn't have one. I guess they didn't have one. You don't think we play favorites? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It is for me. Because I know when I play favorites, what I'm basically doing is saying you can help me and you can't. That's, why, that's how sinful it is. I'll hang out with you because you can help me. I won't hang out with you because you can't help me. You can't. T- Let's put it in preacher lingo. You won't lead a small group. You can't teach a Sunday school class. You can't give too much money. You can't play in the band. You can't do anything for us. God help us. You're exactly right. God help us. And our church was started because that stuff was going on. And it still goes on in all denominations today. Other other quotes. This is from Phineas Brzee himself, one of the founders of our church. It has been my long cherished desire to have a place in the heart of the city. Why in the heart of the city? Because that's where you find poor people. You don't find poor people in suburbs. It has been my long cherished desire to have a place in the heart of the city which could be made a center of holy fire and where the gospel could be preached to the poor. Why are we going to Kinsey? it's who we are I, I, look, I look at you all and I look at Xenia and you all don't look like Xenia there's at least a third of Xenia that is downright poor and I look at you all and I don't see poor for whatever reason maybe it's my fault they don't come here so why don't we do like Jesus and go to them and it may work and it may not work I don't know But I just think God is pleased with those who look after poor people. I'm just stupid enough to think that. Finnish Brzee also said this, the poorest of the poor are entitled to the front seat in the church of Nazarene, providing you get there early enough to claim it. Why do we call ourselves the Church of the Nazarene? We could have called ourselves a lot of things. We could have called ourselves the Church of Jesus Christ. That's what Church of the Nazarene. We're we're actually not the Nazarene Church. We're the Church of the Nazarene. The definite article is important there. Church of the Nazarene. It's just like saying Church of of Jesus Christ. But, But they chose the name Nazarene because in the Bible, when Jesus was introduced to some people, somebody said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was the other side of the tracks. Nazareth is where the poor people lived. And our early founders claimed the name, as did Jesus. And we'll just claim the name that was used in a mocking way. That's who we are, friends. We're the Nazarenes. And that wasn't a cool thing 2,000 years ago. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, do not show favoritism. The Old Testament backs that up. The New Testament backs that up. Many denominations that have been started back that up from the Free Methodist to the Church of the Nazarene. Do not show favoritism. Do not hang out with people just because they can help you. And don't avoid other people that can't do anything for you. Is there any bigger sin than that? Now, in 2, two of James, he illustrates this. And he says, suppose a, a man comes into your meeting and he looks like he's wealthy. He's got the outward trappings of wealth. You don't really know if he's wealth, wealthy or not. He could have stole the clothes for all we know. But he looks like he's wealthy. So what you're doing is you're judging by externals, insignificant things. He looks like he's wealthy. You're judging by the clothes they have on. And can there be any worse thing to judge about than that? Suppose a man comes in and he he's got a, comes into your meeting. The word, is, word there is lit, literally translated synagogue. So he comes to church, and he's probably a visitor to church because he doesn't know where to sit, right? Visitors don't know where to sit. They don't know where to go. They don't know where the nursery is. They don't know where the children's department is. You know what? You need to not come to this church next week and go to another church and feel how weird it feels to be a visitor, it feels weird. You don't know anything. It'll make you come back to this church the following week and have eyes for other people that, that felt just as odd as you did when you went to that other church. Seriously, go to another church. I would be happy if you went to another church next week and felt how weird it feels to walk into a place where you feel uncomfortable. But you don't want to do that because you don't want to feel uncomfortable. You don't like that feeling. So if you come in and you don't know where to sit, and you see a guy that's dressed all nice and you direct him down to the front row. And somebody that's not very, dressed very nice, you say, you can sit right here in the back or you can sit on the floor at my feet. That's the illustration that James is using. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and are judges with evil thoughts? Judges who take bribes. It's uncomfortable. What makes it hard nowadays, though, is it's expensive now, it's cool now to dress sloppy. Kids pay $75 to buy jeans that have holes in them. I don't understand that. I mean, I don't understand it one bit. My mama, if I had a hole in it, she took a patch and ironed that thing up because she was embarrassed. Right? She was embarrassed, but now you have this shabby chic look. So it gets harder. But if you distinguish by externals, if you're judging by things people wear, insignificant things, trivial things, temporal things, aren't you, aren't you a judge with evil thoughts? Don't you judge people with evil thoughts when you do that? And who amongst us is not guilty? Who amongst us is not guilty of hanging out with someone because what they can do for me and not hanging out with someone else because they can't do anything for me. And James says as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't do it. It denies who you are. It's not who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if a church is given preference to people with money or wealth. You just watch the glory of the Lord leave that church. James is buried down on it. Hits it hard and hits me hard and I'm self-reflective and honest enough to admit it. Are you? The tag that's on the inside of the coat, the make of the car, the brand of the shoes, My sweater costs $1 at the Cedarville thrift store. I bet you there are people in here that wouldn't wear this sweater if you had to tell people that. And I just don't give a rip. The problem is we give too much concern and care for what other people think because our identity is not in Christ. My identity is what you think of me. I just thought of this verse and I don't know if I'll be able to quote it. I hope I can find it. I think it's 1242 of John. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they be put out of the church for they loved the praise of men more than they loved the praise of God. <laughs> Don't be a 1242. That'd be a good t-shirt, right? Don't be a 1242 for they love the praise of men more than they loved the praise of God. That's what James is saying. Who are you? Who are you? You're a Christ follower, first and foremost, more than your husband, more than your wife. You're a Christ follower, and that yeah. dictates everything you do. So, How can you blaspheme the name of him to whom you belong by favoring rich people over poor people, James says in (laughs) 2-7. So James makes his argument about no favoritism by saying we're identified with Christ. We as Nazarenes, the denominational the denominational mission statement is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be Christ-like. That's, that is more of a definition of a Christian than anything else, really. It's not just somebody's going to heaven. It's someone that wants to, with every fiber of their being, to be Christ-like. The old word for it in our denomination was holiness. But holiness gets all messed up, and it becomes not chewing and not going to movies and and all that stuff, and instead it should just be Christ-likeness. Some of you are old enough to remember the old song. Oh, to be like thee. Remember that? Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy fullness. Come in thy sweetness. Listen, stamp thine own image deep in my heart. James says, preaching holiness. He says, as Christians, people who desire to be Christ-like, don't show favoritism. I need Jesus for this because I just can't grip my teeth and get it done because I see a nature inside of me that wants to hang out with people that can help me more than people that can. I see something in me that I don't like. I see something in me that pulls me in a direction that's away from Jesus. I need the Lord to come in and burn that away from me. I need him. I need his grace. I just don't need to try harder. I just don't need to put it on my list for this week. Don't show favoritism. I need something burned out of my spirit that is not of him. And I need him to come and stamp his image deep, deep down in my spirit somewhere where I make decisions. It's holiness, friends. It's all it is. It's holiness. And James preaching holiness to us in chapter two. So church, how is it with you? How is it with us? As a church, as an individual, how is it with us? As a believer, in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Our servers are coming to the table. Father, we're getting ready to celebrate something that Jesus did for all. Young, old, rich, poor, black, white, Jew, Gentile was no respecter of persons. He died for all. And because of his grace and his spirit living in each one of us, he says, by that grace and by that spirit, James tells us not to be a respecter of persons, not to show favoritism, not to show partiality. Lord, we need you for this. Christ in me Christ in me, bringing with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.